Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is episode number six and uh, today I have a lovely chat with Sabelle Masterman um, from Blah Blah Magazine. Uh, but before that, talk to Ben, see what he thinks about it. How are you, Ben? I'm very well, thank you. It was a good chat with Sabelle. Um, I've just finished listening to it and there were a couple of insights in that um, chat that surprised me, um, mostly to do with coffee grounds, which freaked me out a little bit. <laughs> um, but anyway, what do you think? Well, how did how did the conversation go with Sabelle? Oh, it's, it's such a good chat. Um, she and I met at a, a blogging conference a couple of years ago. And you know, when you meet somebody and, um, you know, I, I'd obviously never met her before, but just some kind of um, synchronicity or whatever happens and it's like you've known them forever or we just chatted and I felt like I've, uh, yeah, I made, it, made a new friend quite quickly. Uh, I don't know if that's, that was a mutual thing or not, but she's, no, she's great and it was a really good conversation with her. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed her, her point of view on things. I think we share a lot of um, the same philosophies on slowing down and living a simpler life but the reasons behind it too are quite similar uh, she's got a young family like us uh, two little boys um, pretty close in age to our kids and I think the impact of slowing down and simplifying has been s- very similar for her um, you know she's just a chilled out really positive present engaged kind of person I think that comes through obviously in our in our conversation um, but she's also got some pretty wicked ideas about uh, sustainability and using things from around the house to, you know, in lieu of um, commercially made products and stuff like that, which we get into. She's got a background in um, both magazine publishing, particularly interiors magazines, and also uh, cosmetics and um, skincare and things like that. So she's got a really interesting point of view, I think, to to bring to the table on on how we can slow down and simplify but you know she still likes nice things she still likes she she even says she likes to smell nice it's a big thing for her so it's how how do you build a life that allows you to to kind of still have those things without costing the earth and that's actually the tagline of her her website which is blah blah magazine.com.au it's um living a beautiful life without costing the earth and that i mean that sums her up perfectly yeah and i won't give too much away about the coffee uh, grounds but (laughs) Uh, suffice to say, um, the alternative is pretty scary as well when she talks about um, microbeads um, and the plastic that runs down your drain into our waterways, into our ocean. Um, and that's pretty scary. And that was that was quite a, enlightening for me, I've got to say. You were, you were really freaked out by that, weren't you? Um, it, it reminded me uh, last week, maybe the week before, I think it was the New York Times um, posted a photo online of the sewers under New York and it's just kind of choked with all this white, gloopy-looking stuff. And it turns out that that white, gloopy-looking stuff is just millions of those quote-unquote flushable wipes that people buy um, and everyone's been flushing them down the, you know, down the toilet thinking, well, it must be biodegradable. It can't possibly be hurting anyone because it's sold as, as a flushable thing when what it's actually doing is choking the the sewers under New York City and I'm, I'm sure it's not just New York that it's happening in it that's what when Sabelle was talking about the microbeads in um in cosmetic exfoliators and things like that that's that's what it reminded me of 
because of course anything is flushable like a shoe is flu- yeah, a shoe is exactly. flushable <laughs> but it doesn't mean it goes away it just means you can't see it anymore yeah. Um, so the chat's coming up, but before that, um, we just thought we'd touch on um, some great feedback that we received um, after the first five episodes. Um, we must apologise because we're still ironing out many of the, what I'm understanding to be vast audio <laughs> um, issues and variances that can occur during a, producing a podcast. So we're learning as we go. Some really special thanks to Joel, who's who um, provided some really valuable feedback um, and to all of you that have emailed Brooke. Um, so we will continue to improve um, the audio quality and your listening experience, but please um, bear with us as we do so. Yeah, we're, you know, we're learning as we go, but it's been such a, an amazing, the last week, uh, week and a bit since we launched has been phenomenal. I mean, thank you everyone who's gotten in touch and tweeted and Facebooked and um, left reviews and sent me emails. It's uh, it's been, yeah, it's been really amazing to see how much people are enjoying the podcast so far. I hope that we keep producing things that you enjoy and conversations that you like listening to and making you laugh sometimes. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to say thank you for listening up to this point, and I, I I'm sure you'll enjoy the conversation with Sibel today. Um, and before I, I dive into it, uh, you can find the show notes for today's episode at slowyourhome.com slash six and that will list all of the the links and resources and anything else that we mention in today's show that you might like to check out after you've listened and um, yeah without any more to say unless you have something more to say thank you for listening everyone (laughs) here's my chat with Isabel Hello, my lovely friend. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, really well, actually. It's um, it's beautiful, sunshiny day. I'm I'm enjoying the fact that I'm talking to you in daylight hours <laughs> because usually I'm I'm interviewing people at like five in the morning. Well, yeah. So sitting here, privilege of being close to you. I'm in Sydney and enjoying. It's actually pretty sunny here today, although autumn's settling in, so it's nice. It's a bit cooler. I think it's it favorite is. time of year, autumn. Yeah, I find myself getting really kind of cranky in March because I sort of want the cooler weather to come. Even though I quite like summer, I really do love autumn. Yeah, it was a weird one. We did The summer did linger a bit longer than usual, I think. It did, didn't it? I thought it might have just been me, no, but no. Okay. It was definitely. But it's interesting because it is nice. I mean, I guess that's one of the things that I'm really enjoying with this change in of my lifestyle is I can actually pay more attention to the seasons and I'm noticing them. I'm not in an office block or, and I'm, you know, where the temperature's controlled, I'm actually, you know, I think, oh, I might need a cardigan on or, you know, might need a little <laughs> woolly throw, you know. And, or, you know, you equally, th- you know, summer, you throw open the windows and it's like, wow, that's a really good breeze coming in. It's, I mean, I think that's the thing about this kind of lifestyle shift is enjoying those things and the change and I guess it's, really nice to have it as a part of life rather than this ultra controlled environment where you go from an air-conditioned car to an air-conditioned office and you have no you can step outside at the end of the day and have no idea what's just happened exactly the sun was rising when I went in and it's setting now I go home and I you know go into my 
air conditioned home or whatever, you know, and it's just temperature controlled the whole way. I mean, yeah. I realize there are circumstances where you need to, you know, if you're in a 50 degree, well, if you're in the Middle East at various times of the year, I'm sure you do need that, you know, but it's, you know, it's nice to be able to enjoy the seasons. It is actually. And that's something because I used to just, I hated every season apart from summer and unless it was summer, I was miserable. <laughs> I was just horrible. But when I started um, gardening, like when we moved to the Blue Mountains and we bought our house and I've planted out our veggie garden and um, suddenly I started really enjoying all the different seasons and it was just the fact that I was able to get outside and see the different things that happened and the different flowers that bloomed all throughout the year and, you know, the quality of the light and all that kind of stuff. It was that was probably one of the big things that gradually over time impacted the way I feel as well, you know, just being outside and kind of reconnecting with nature. Um, I was just chatting to a sleep expert yesterday and he was talking about the importance of light and the different quality of light on our sleep patterns and, this, you know, because it impacts um, sleep regulation in terms of the melatonin um, needs to kick in and that kicks in when it's dark and it turns off when we see the blue light of the pre-dawn. Um, and But similarly, the different lights throughout the day actually have uh, an impact on how well we sleep. Which... Yeah, I would, I would, I mean, I absolutely believe that because I know when I used to read my iPad as a Kindle before bed, mm. my sleep was rubbish. Mm. It was so bad. It would take me, if I read for too long, my legs would get all twitchy and my brain would kind of fire up again because the blue light of the screen was telling me that it was time to wake up, even though my body was going, yeah, hang on, it's like 9 p.m., I'm exhausted. Mm. So, yeah, it took me a while to get out of that habit. Now I just read like a physical book when I go to bed. Mm. But yeah. It's amazing. He said the spike in insomnia issues over the last, you know, five to ten years has been phenomenal, and especially in teenagers and, you know, the, you know, the generation that are using technology straight before bed and the blue light factor. Yeah, it's really – it is interesting how if we remove ourselves too far from the, the – the seasons and the world around us, I think we do pay a bit of a price in for that. Yeah, absolutely. And even just, I mean, I'm a big one for barefoot and barehand gardening. Like I won't wear, unless it's the middle of winter, I won't wear shoes when I'm gardening, even though I'm allergic to ants and bees. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and I feel like there's something in that. Um, I'm sure I've read that there's like microbes in the soil that, even just the simple act of digging in the soil and breathing in those microbes and that, that, you know, that scent of living, breathing earth is actually really good for you. Yeah, it's funny because, I mean, yeah, there's those studies, but also like I think it's really interesting that we've tried to remove ourselves from microbes and that we've been fed um, a whole lot of ideas that all these little creatures, if we can't see it, it must be evil. Um, <laughs> But, you know, like from microbes in the soil to, you know, the fermented foods or probiotics. And, and I remember when, you know, I was a kid and my mum was like, you know, you need to eat your yogurt because it's got culture in it. I'm like, ew, yuck, it's alive. There's bacteria in it, gross. <laughs> and she's like, no, it's good for you. And I'm like, can't be good for you. Got to 
you know, got to sanitize it. Um, and I think it's really interesting that we kind of, it's nice it's to see we're actually getting more sensible approach that, okay, just because it's smaller and we can't see it doesn't mean that it's evil and needs to be banished. So, yeah, like the barefoot gardening and the microbes in the soil or, you know, the culture in your yogurt, you know, all this stuff I think is we're able to reintroduce into our lives. And it creates... Um, you know, but being in exposed to these things also creates a sort of uh, rhythm. So I suppose it's exposing ourselves to the real world as it is, you know, not a controlled environment. And I'm sure different temperatures of all and thermostats, I wouldn't be surprised if they have an impact on things as well. I reckon somebody will come up with some thing that, oh, my goodness, it's quite good to be exposed to different temperatures during the day and stuff like that yeah oh definitely because i know i get so edgy if i'm in um a constantly air-conditioned space like if I, where if we ever travel and stay in a hotel and there's air conditioning on constantly if i get so edgy even if it means i have to go outside and it's stinking hot or freezing cold i'd much prefer that than being inside in that kind of stuffy fake <laughs> fake comfortable environment you know um yeah i'm sure i'm sure there's a, a big impact on that sort of stuff, if it's constant. I mean, if it's like for survival so that you don't either freeze or yes. boil, yeah. of course. Yeah. It's interesting actually because I remember there's this great story. I think that because my grandfather was a huge influence for me in terms of this whole shift in of in my lifestyle and he was incredibly frugal man and he he, he travelled more than anyone I know he travelled all through Siberia, Africa, Southeast Asia, South America, you know, all over the world. And um, and then at the end of his life, he was able to set up a school for Indigenous kids, and basically all on the back of his frugal living. But as a child growing up, there's, I looked at it and I thought, oh, I couldn't live like that. It's way too extreme. And it's true, he was extreme. Like there was, we, when I was first born, my parents drove up to far north Queensland, up to Cairns, where he lived in the tropics. And I was a newborn baby and my brothers were like six and seven, so kind of waist height. And my brothers barreled out of the car and were, gre- were greeted by my grandfather, who was just wearing a pair of underpants that he'd picked up at the ship that had no <laughs> so everything's just flopping out <laughs> so my my brother's memory of my grandfather is not a particularly attractive one so that but you know and I, I think that's the thing is that everyone we, we all kind of look at those extreme examples and go I could never do that I couldn't I couldn't live like that you know and whereas <laughs> ironic you know and then I went into I think as I sort of rejected that those elements you know his whole house was completely made up of found objects and he you know he would hammer a nail straight you know he would never throw a nail out and you know I remember fights with between my father and my grandfather because you know my grandfather would be there you hammer those nails straight before you build you know and my father's like I could just go and get some new nails you know so there is a I guess what I'm saying there is a pendulum because then I rejected that as when I was sort of in my 20s and working in magazines and 
you know, I was working in homes magazines and of course I wanted everything that came out in the new issue. I want, I wanted it. I wanted um, all of those lovely matching sets of crockery and the matching cutlery. But lo and behold, the next month's issue would come out and I'd want the new <laughs> set of cutlery. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do with the old matching set of cuts? It's almost like that's what they do. They try and get you to like something and buy it and then get you to like something and buy another thing. And then I think that's the thing is somewhere for me finding my own balance, which I think everyone needs to do like for me I'm probably not going to go to the tip and get a pair of underpants that has no elastic and (laughs) wear that but I also I'm not going to throw out an entire crockery set because it doesn't not all the pieces match anymore um and I think well there is a point we need to find our own place that works for us you know and I think um like you say they're often trying to get us to buy something because it's amazing and special and unique and then you buy it and it's like oh it's a plate (laughs) (laughs) lo and behold I eat my food off it um but also similarly I think one of the most you know the one of the biggest industries for this thing sort of I guess manipulation is the cosmetics industry and I did work in it for a long time and it is they like to cloak a lot of that world in magic and mystery and, you know, if it's not magic and mystery, it's people with lab coats telling you that, you know, oh, my goodness, this is amazing and magical and you need this sheep's placenta to rub on your um, your wrinkles because it will turn back the clock, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And I think, I guess... What's really nice is there seems to be a bit of a rebalance of this. Like I think a lot of people are looking at that kind of advertising that's been happening for a long time now and going, mm, is it such a good idea? Like do I do I really believe that that shape's placenta that you're going to charge me $400 for is going to make me feel like I'm 20 years younger? Maybe not. Yeah, yeah I think... I do think that people are looking at things through maybe more mindful eyes, I hope, mindful rather than cynical. But um, I think people, particularly our generation, have kind of seen the the results of blindly buying what we're told to buy. Mm. And typically those results aren't awesome. Mm. You know, either the the fashion that we're told we need to be wearing falls apart after you wash it twice or, you know, you find out that it's being made by children in a third world country, mm. you know, shut in a, in a kind of sweatshop or, um, you know, the face cream doesn't do anything that the, you know, $10 bottle of face cream that you already had did, mm. like that kind of stuff. So I think, I definitely think that there's a shift away from that mindless, um, acceptance of what we're told. Mm, well, they said yeah. so. It must be true. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I, I, I think we've still got a long way to go in in areas. I mean, it's particularly the cosmetics industry because they they are very they are very unregulated. They can claim anything. It's completely different to the health industry or the food industry. They they can pretty much use. Mm, 
and you know there's there's been hardly anything banned off what they can use list kind of thing i think it was only something like eight ingredients that's terrifying yeah and it's quite um surreal like okay for me i look at like a body scrub you could buy a body scrub um and it turns out that they're using most most of the sort of medium to cheaper range of body scrubs have recently there are some of them changing been using plastic microspheres so that you pay for the privilege of rubbing little plastic grains all over you and then those plastic grains then end up in the sewage system and in our waterways because they're too fine to be filtered then we have the privilege of choking small sea life and those small sea life are then you know food for the bigger fish and magically we've got the residue of the plastic in our food chain and Mm. you think and i just think it's it's just it's silly it's cost it's the company's being cheap they could easily use um apricot kernels or whatever but they're just cheap it's cheaper to use plastic and it's you think well yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) i just think it's i get you know um and the, the problem for me is that I think that stuff is optional. We are choosing to do it. And they, there's a lot of um, sales pitch that goes into saying that we need this particular thing. I remember even for a while they were advertising the fact they were using micro spheres because they're great because they're, you know, smooth or whatever. I don't, can't remember. But, you know, and then it's like, yeah, but they're little bits of plastic. <laughs> <laughs> just filtering through everything and if you contrast to that to you know you use some coffee you make some coffee dry the coffee in a cooling oven and throw in a bit of salt and some honey and some oil to make up a paste and you have a body scrub now half of that is something that you're going to probably put in the compost bin anyway and I just think if a lot of this stuff just makes sense and I think it's a way that our grandparents were living but we sort of have lost our way in the excitement of, of consumerism and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, it's, it's really exciting to see people starting to reclaim that because I think a lot of the power is taken away when you're told, oh, you couldn't possibly make that mm-hmm. because, you know, well, you don't have a special lab coat like we do, um, you know. <laughs> Like you look at a body scrub, what is it? It's grains and it's, you know, that you just use it for exfoliating or, um, you know, a face cream. It's there for moisturizing or, you know, and it's, they're not, it's not rocket science. And I, I find it interesting that similarly with food where, you know, if it's, um, we like to label it as this magic you know, companies like to label their packaged food as some kind of magic formula. And it's like, wow, it's magical. It does this, this and this. When actually it's not that complicated. It is, it's food. You know, like, like Michael Pollan says, we, you know, you, you want to eat food that your grandparents would recognize. And he was talking about the irony that um, a pasta that is, uh, promoted as having all these nutritional benefits and having a soup, you know, one certain superfood added to it or something is going to keep selling while the potato doesn't. 
you know, potato doesn't sell because it can't repackage itself. It can't, it can't say, I'm actually, I've actually got lots of micronutrients and lots of nutrients that are really good for you. And, and it can't say I'm fabulous for you because it's a potato. It's the same as we've always had. And so we look at it and go, wow, that's not magical, is it? Mm. Exactly. And I think part of it is, um, convenience like we're sold on the fact that these things are convenient because we are so busy you know and there's no doubt that we are so much busier in terms of you know information flying at our heads and constant daily stresses that um, you know our grandparents just didn't have to deal with Mm. the question is whether they're necessary or not like that's a question for another conversation I think but um, so we're sold this life of busyness and then we're sold these things of convenience because obviously you're too busy to make your own, you know, cleaning uh, products or your own facial care products or whatever, you know, you're too busy to um, prepare potatoes, but here boil this pasta kind of thing. Um, Yeah. And I think it's, it's really interesting to see what happens when people do start to slow down and simplify and kind of reprioritize because it's sometimes or most often the people that I speak to start out with a particular reason for doing it. You know, they might say, I'm sick of, you know, the, the clutter in my house, so I'm going to declutter. And then that becomes becomes a, a decluttered home. But then that opens up space in their lives for, t- you know, time to think these things through they start to think about the food that they eat or the things that they clean their house with or the food uh, the the stuff that they put on their bodies and it slowly starts to snowball into what kind of you and I have arrived at which is more like a lifestyle yeah uh, of you know you know rounded thing yeah you start to question okay well is it less convenient to grab a bottle of vinegar and clean with vinegar um than the you know, like it's a $1 for a bottle of a one litre of, of, of vinegar as opposed to $5 for your whiz-bang, thank you, wham-bam, thank you, ma'am, spray. And yet now there's a lot of research coming out that the respiratory issues behind in a, in ingredients in a lot of those um, products are causing respiratory issues in kids. And you think, well, what price are we paying for that? convenience and how convenient is it between oh, exactly. vinegar and a spray it's you know I think that's a, the exciting thing is that you start to get into this world and you go wow it's, it's a it's not that hard and b wow was I wow how have I you know it, it becomes this sort of a snowballing thing where you start like you say you start with one thing and then you add another and then you go wow that wasn't so hard and then you add a new element you buy chickens or something yeah <laughs> and suddenly you know you you're living a completely different life to what where you were before and it's it and I, I kind of think well we're told that you know buying pre-shopped vegetables or a pre-packaged meal is a convenience but I also wonder about what we're losing if if we don't wash our own potatoes or if we don't make um, various things we actually lose out on that thinking time that I think we're losing in other spaces because you know we have screens to take up all of our other time and those times when you're making things are actually rare moments of thinking but I think one of 
the big things for me has been ch- shifting my thought process during making something. So if I'm feeling resentful of making whatever it is, I just, I, I don't, I just don't do it because I think, well, that's just stupid. If I'm going to feel resentful, it's silly to make this thing. But what I find, uh, if I actually am able to approach it in a positive way and go, I'm choosing to make this because I want to, and we are privileged to, you know, be able to do that because we can buy something cheaply um, to replace that. But I, by making this choice to live this way, I can actually enjoy the process of making as a creative outlet or whatever it is. And that then the actual act of doing it actually benefits me. Like if I could, I could throw my clothes in the dryer or I could enjoy the sunshine for a few minutes and hang my washing out because really what else, you know, what else is, is what's with I have that moment to enjoy the sunshine. Yes, I am doing something and yes, I could be relaxing or whatever, but the truth is I probably wouldn't. Relax. Yes, exactly. Um, you just move on to the next thing on your list, your mental list of things that you need to do. Um, so it's kind of like a you approach it in a way of sort of single tasking, like you really, uh, and I know it's not possible to do that for everything, every moment, every chore, whatever. But I'm, I do the exact same thing, particularly when I'm hanging out the clothes. I really just try and think about the, that one thing that I'm doing. And it lasts five minutes, you know, but it's sort of like a meditative thing in the midst of what might be an otherwise chaotic day with kids crying and arguing or running around and doing, you know, going to appointments and school pickups, all that sort of stuff. To have that moment that I'm choosing to do something and choosing to put my my whole mind into it, I feel like, and I know people roll their eyes, like, yeah, but that sounds like a waste of time that I could be doing other things. That's the whole point. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the thing, and I find it really interesting because in being in that moment, we are able to be, we are actually getting often what we are seeking elsewhere in that moment if we can allow it to happen. Now, I'm not perfect. <laughs> Plenty of times where I get cranky about doing the washing. Don't get me wrong, but of course, but yeah. it's. Um, but I also can choose, and I've noticed by actively choosing to view it differently, I have been able to shift my thinking a little bit more in that way. And each time it becomes a little bit easier. And also, my kids are getting involved, you know, because they get old, getting older, and they they're going to wash their own clothes. I tell you, but. <laughs> <laughs> But I also think that's also part of it is that you are, you know, getting your family involved, you're getting things because what else am I, what am I rushing for? You know, mm-hmm. I can, I can rush off and do this and I can rush over here and do that or I can just do this task, have a moment and then move on to the next thing. And I find actually when I'm doing a lot of these things, it does inspire me. I'm more likely just to take that moment whereas if I'm sort of, um, frantic I'm less likely to take that moment um, but it is it's a hard it is a I think that it's a bit of a lifelong process that one it's like it, yeah. I, I can just I feel like I'm just at the beginning of that process and it's just starting to get in and it, I'm um, I can see the benefits of it and I I just feel like I'm getting a taste of it you know and I think it's it it feels possible to me now whereas it didn't before I didn't I 
I used to look at it and go, oh, mm-hmm. you know. And you'd hear the advice, but hearing the advice and understanding it and actually putting it into practice is they're two very different things. You know, you know, you understand what people are saying when they're like, well, why don't you just concentrate on the pegs and the light and the sounds and you're like, yeah, but it's just, I just don't want to, I don't want to, you know, so there's, there's a big difference between, and that's something that I have battled with and, you know, still do sometimes. I'm like, I just, I, I don't. No, but then I kind of think, oh, well, yeah, yeah, it's annoying, but that's okay. We kind of, I think it's easy to be hard on ourselves and take it as another opportunity to, to flat, self-flagellate ourselves about. Another reason to whip ourselves, which you know what, you really, I think that's a really hard one is to say, it's okay if I'm just cranky, you know. It's okay. It's a human emotion. I'm allowed to feel cranky. It's okay, you know, and I'm okay. <laughs> it's okay. I can, I <laughs> I'm a well-rounded emotional being. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Of course it's annoying. But often I find it's not the task. What I've noticed since starting to try and be more present in doing things is that it's not often the task that's annoying. It's actually various other issues that are going on that are annoying me that make me annoyed and the task kind of becomes the scapegoat but then Mm -hmm. actually we can look at the task and go actually could be an opportunity to have a bit of quiet you know bit of mental space but then I don't you know similarly I don't you know I don't want to try and beat myself up because I didn't take it as a moment what do you mean you didn't take it as a moment outrageous (laughs) Um, but you know, like having said that, it does. Ma- having started on this road, it has made a big difference. And so I guess that's the thing: is I want to kind of evangelize and go, "Woohoo! You should do this and you should do that." And da da da. But then I realize at the same time, you, I don't want to sit, make more reasons for people to want to to not beat themselves up. It's meant, you know. I guess it's about finding the space for joy in amongst our lives you know we live in the real world we have to do things and they're boring and they're dull and they make me cranky and you know all sorts of stuff but that's life you know and 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 life's not easy it's not a um you know crap happens it's exactly we can't it's you know it's it's hard because we go oh we look at Instagram or Pinterest or whatever, and we go, oh, but they've got a perfect life, you know, and they don't, you know, and it's it's just none of us do, you know, none of us do, none of us have a perfect life. But I think we can, I think we've been sold a dream that we need to buy, have these things to make our lives happy and it doesn't work. And no, it, costs, it definitely you know, doesn't and it, it costs us a lot. We pay a big price for that dream. Whereas I think if you focus on a more, you know, seeking happiness, well, <laughs> seeking spaces of joy in simple things actually um, is rewarding and is possible and has minimal cost. In fact, finding joy in simple things costs nothing but benefits us in a huge way uh, whereas the other option costs can cost us a lot and costs mm-hmm. us culturally a lot like um i think we were talking earlier you know when you buy something that's cheap you get a quick fix but what what's the actual cost of that cheap thing there's the manufacturer that goes into it there's all the resources that go into it 
um, you know, is there human suffering behind that that cheap product? Um, you know, and there's the you know what could else could you have bought with that money? Could you have had a different experience or something else? And then you've got the cost of that item for its life cycle. So you've then got to maintain it, or then you've got to figure out how to throw it out. And if you throw it out, what's the cost of throwing it out on culturally? Um, on our society and what co- what costs are we paying for this landfill? I mean, what cost are we paying for the big blob of giant kilometre wide, kilometres wide chunk of plastic floating around in the Pacific Ocean? You know, we, we are paying a price and I, I don't mean, I don't want, you know, I don't want to set it up as something that people need to feel guilty about. It's it's actually one, I think this is where you're, you're at as well, where you just feel like it's a really exciting and a fun and liberating choice to go, you know what, I don't actually have to buy that because I don't know if it's going to make me feel better and I'm just not sure, you know, and yeah. and actually walking away from it and going, mm, maybe it might not. Yeah, and I think that's where what you were kind of getting at before when you said you you said happiness and then you stopped yourself and you said finding spaces of joy instead of happiness um, I think that's a really interesting point of difference because we're sold happiness as a um, a picture of a lifestyle, like your Pinterest, your Instagram snapshots of you know perfect perfection and kind of this gorgeous family life where everything is harmonious, and that's the happiness myth I think that we're being sold. Whereas I think the way you described it was perfect, you know, uh, finding spaces of joy, or I kind of call it contentment rather than all out happiness. Because I think when you're sold the idea of um, this kind of maniacal happiness all the time, everything must be sunshine and unicorns and cocktails in the sun kind of thing. Like that's not real life. Real life does have laundry and you have to pay bills and some days just suck because everyone argues or you wake up on the wrong side of the bed and you're cranky and you don't want to do the laundry and all that sort of stuff, you know, um, I think it's really important to uh, point yourself in the direction more of finding moments of, without sounding too twee, like moments of beauty or moments of joy or moments of just gratitude and amazingness in amongst the rest of it because you could otherwise so easily spend your days and your weeks and your months kind of pursuing this life of happiness i.e. stuff or, you know, a certain kind of life and miss all those moments, those daily, hourly moments of beauty. And that is like that. That's life. You could get to the end of a year and have pursued this dream of whatever it is, you know, pick your pick your your adventure kind of thing. But at the end of it, you're like, well, you know, I got I got the bedspread that I wanted and I painted the walls the color that I wanted. And, you know, I have a wardrobe full of clothes that I wanted and still <laughs> there's something missing, you know. So I'm not saying it's one or the other, but I do think that it's really important to kind of, um, yeah, pay attention to what it is that you're looking to make you happy Right. Yeah. I love. Yeah. I really like your the idea of contentment as opposed to joy because I do think that's a more appropriate word because it is that sense of ah, you know, there's that you know, big deep breath in the middle of it all, you know, and it is that you know, I'm okay. Yeah. Okay. Where 
because I, I, I once um, was reading something, another blogger, I think it might have been Rhonda from Down to Earth, and she was writing about contentment versus happiness. And she said, I just, I don't aim for happiness, I aim for contentment. This was quite a few years ago that I read it. And I thought, no, no, you don't, don't aim for contentment. Contentment's like, eh, it's, yeah, you know, it's okay. You want happiness. You want kind of face-splitting grins of happiness. <laughs> As I got further and further into this whole idea of slowing down and simplifying and getting back to the essentials, I, I understood that actually aiming for contentment is absolutely the way to go. I used to feel like contentment was the underachieving version of happiness. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I really want to be happy, but I'll I'll settle for being content. <laughs> and I think that's that's really that's not the way that things work. I mean, um, there's a whole range of of experiences and emotions in every day, let alone a whole lifetime. But I think being content and going, like you said, I'm okay. Like we're okay. This is good. You know, we're we're coming from a a good solid place. We we know what's important. We know kind of where we're heading. To be able to say that, like that's pretty amazing. And I'd take that over this crazy-eyed happiness of social media any day because I, to me anyway, it's just not a true reflection of, you know, every day. It's interesting because I must admit I, I love taking pretty pictures and I love – you know, I actually, when I'm in the zone of taking photos and um, I get really into it and I love it and it's something that I love to do, but I I really hope that people who look at my pretty pictures go, there's a whole lot of other stuff behind those pretty pictures. She's, it's just um it's, it's my expression of creativity. It's, it's not, it's not my life. It's a curated element. It's a curated version of my life. You know, I find it hysterical because just this morning I was editing a photo and I was looking at the photo and it, it's uh, for doing a, a rose salt body scrub. And it's hysterical because in the, and it's a down shot and in the shot of the, ed, the edges of the shot is my, are my toes and I was like, Man, my toenails need clipping and I just thought it was hilarious because I'm taking the down shot and I've managed to capture my toe in the outside of the shot. Now, of course, I'm going to crop my toe out. I'm not going to leave my skanky, needy toenail clipping toe in the, in the shot. But I guess that's the thing is, you know, all those shots have had, have had those skanky clipped toe requiring toes cut out of them you're not going to leave them in there but you have to remember that when you're looking at an image like that that there probably is some toenail clipping required toe just on right on the edge of that shot you know and it's it's sort of a responsibility in a way of of the viewer and the giver of these things to go yes this is my version this is an expression of creativity for me please don't view it as oh my goodness my house is strewn with lavender petals and if you walk in the front door you will smell nothing but lavender and my children are you know (laughs) sitting humming little happy songs and doing happy dances in the corner it's not like that but you know there are elements of my life because I like nice smelly things and I like those things in my life because smell is a big thing for me and 
and I guess that's the other thing I was thinking about when you were talking about um, mindless consumerism. I'm not actually anti-consumerist. I just think that if we do it with consideration, like if someone has a particular passion for something, I think good on you, you know, great. You love that. Like, you know, um, my brother-in-law is hugely into music and has an amazing music collection. It is his passion. He loves it. I had, I can't even imagine how many terabytes of music he has, but that's something that gives him, uh, he's really knowledgeable about it. He is passionate. It gives him an extra quality, extra dimension to his life. And, and similarly, you know, people who I know, like um, that fabulous Dan Sexy secondhand girl. And, you know, she, I'm sure she has a monster wardrobe. Like, you know, <laughs> of course. But that, that is her passion. And I know that all those pieces in her collection are very well curated. And it is something that she loves to do. Now, that's her love. That's her passion. And she's really excited about that. I'm not, that's not my bag. You know, it's not my thing. And so I guess... Um, I, I think it, it is a question of, of being mindful about what we include in our lives. Is it, I, I think, yeah. is it going to add to our lives or is it, is it, what price are we paying and is the price worth it? You know? Exactly. You know, cause I have lots of people ask me about that, you know, um, I've kind of fell into the role of the woman who talks about decluttering all the time. And I think from that, people got the impression that I was, I lived in a very Spartan space and, you know, didn't hold any, any physical items dear. And, you know, physical items, I probably still wouldn't say that I hold them dear, but I'm not anti-stuff. I'm anti-mindlessness. Mm. Um, you know, <laughs> it's really interesting for my birthday, um, just this past March, my husband bought me, the um the first 12 copies of the walking dead uh comic book so i'm a massive walking dead fan um big nerd and he's like i really battled with whether or not to buy it for you because you know it's stuff and it'll take up space but i'm like but this is amazing this is something that i love and i will read it and i will keep it um you know and it's something that he's passionate about and i'm passionate about and we're both we're both really into it Similarly, he's got, you know, he owns multiple guitars and we've got a friend who has a vinyl collection of epic proportions. And I would never say that any of those things are mindless because they bring things to you, you know. I'm not anti-collections. If you're really into something, then I think that's amazing. But just be mindful, excuse me, mindful of what it's bringing to you and whether the cost of it in terms of not just purchasing it but keeping it and maintaining it and actually paying attention to it as long as that isn't outweighed by the pleasure you get from it then I think that's that's what slow homes are all about for me they're not so much about minimalism but they're about creating a life that is about you and that works for you and a home that works for you not the other way around well, I guess that's so I think I mean it's a funny thing because I think a lot of people go oh decluttering da, 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 I have to throw out all this stuff but it I, I think what you're saying is, if I get it is that basically you create taking the junk away the stuff that is is unnecessary or doesn't bring you know joy or satisfaction or whatever and you're creating space for the things and time to enjoy the things that do bring you joy 
Exactly. And if you know, if you're a mad cook, then you probably do want a few pots and pans and, you know, that kind of thing. And that, that you know, because you can talk about your beloved pots and pans and you'll fuss over seasoning them and you'll fuss, you know, you're happy to do all of that. And it's a, a joy um, to have it in your life. Well, it brings contentment, shall I say. <laughs> contentment, that's right. No, but I think those things do bring joy, you know, and uh, it's absolutely about making not only the space, you know, I, I find... Um, in a practical sense with our home, if uh, I have an empty space and just put one thing there that I really love or that really brings about positive feelings or memories or whatever, that to me is paying it a much higher regard than having it shoved on a shelf full of other things that really don't mean as much. Um, And I think similarly with making space in terms of energy and time for things, you can you might have less things to focus your time on, but the things that you do focus on get your full attention and then you're able to, you know, sit there and actually enjoy them. Like I'm able to sit there and read a comic book. I'm able to sit there and drink a really nice glass of red wine. Like I'm able, we're able to have friends over more frequently um, because we have opened up our life with more space and more time, more energy by getting rid of the stuff that really didn't do anything for us except kind of weigh us down. So like decluttering and getting rid of stuff was part of that, but it's so much more than that. And I feel like that's often something that people misconstrue about simple living or slow living, that it's all just about getting rid of stuff. Like that's definitely a part of it, but, um, you know, only to a point that works for you, you know, um, I run a Facebook group. It's, uh, that, that helps people, um, declutter throughout the year and, so often I see members of that group kind of apologize for their after photos. They're like, oh, you know, I know it's not, I know it's not very minimalist, but it really works for us. I'm like, no, but that's it. That's what, that's it. That's what you're aiming for. It works for you, not it works for some, you know, kind of social media-esque, like Pinterest minimalism home style thing. It, that's not what it's about. It's about the people who live there. Yeah, and I think we have to be... I think I think there's a really good process that happens during a lot of this consideration of the things around us because I think actually by doing even by starting this process you can act, it actually often identifies well what is important to me is this important mm, no yes maybe but mm-hmm. by narrowing it down often you find what is passionate. Like I, sometimes, you know, some, someone says, well, what do you want? Well, I don't know. I know what I don't want. <laughs> and I think sometimes, you know, you take away all the stuff that you don't want and suddenly you're left with the stuff that you do want and you go, oh, well, that's very interesting. <laughs> like, that, that's what I want. And, it, and, it's, and then you can pursue that in a different way, as long, you know, as long as you're doing it in a mindful way, I think, you know. Bully for you, as I used to say. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know what? I had a list of some really interesting questions and we've just chatted almost 45 minutes away. Wow. Um, but that's been awesome. Um, okay, one more question to finish. Um, so you, you make a lot of your own things, like you make a lot of your, your home cleaning products and your uh, personal care products and that sort of thing. What's your favourite thing that you make? Oh, <laughs> you're asking me to choose a darling. My goodness. Um, <laughs> oh, I think, oh, 
at the moment I'm in love with coffee body scrub it makes me happy it's messy in the shower and that makes me happy I think I spent too much time um, making mud pies as a child but um, it just it makes me feel good it it I love that I'm not wasting stuff I love that it's really easy to make it smells so good because I I coffee is one thing that I will never you know it's just, I love I love coffee and so I love coffee body scrub um and it just it it it's a really good start for the day for me I I adore it um but you know I'm sure <laughs> maybe it won't always work for me but right now it does Okay, that sounds like a nice way to start the day. I love coffee as well. Um, and we you we bought an AeroPress a little while ago um, for our coffee. It's good. Uh, and I usually just compost the, the coffee grinds, but I might have to try that, I think. Basically about half the quantity of salt, a couple of tablespoons of uh, honey and, you know, add good quality oil in the mix until you're happy with the consistency and it's lovely it is messy in the shower I won't give you I won't lie it's, it's, <laughs> it's like the kids have gone in with a whole lot of mud but I sort of just have a bowl of water ready and you know a bowl that I splash around the shower and it gets rid of the all the grains but yeah I love it and I think that's the thing is that that's not that's not important for everyone you know not everyone's into that kind of body care stuff and I get that it's you know but I find it he's part of my well-being and I think you're often attracted you can be attracted to things that help your well-being like you know a certain kind of sport or a certain kind of food or a certain kind of thing that you're interested in is probably quite good for your well-being and I think you know I think it's so nice to be able to let yourself decide you know and go oh yeah that's cool I like that you know yeah mm. No, I, I agree completely with you. Um, okay, well, I could chat. Literally, I could sit and chat to you for another hour. Likewise. Um, I think my kids have just <laughs> – that would be the world's longest podcast. Um, my kids have just walked back in the front door, so our, um, our time has come to an end. Enjoy, I might go and have a cup of coffee. Yeah, well, you've made me think that I probably need another one. Um, and you can make your body scrub after and then you'll be fine. I will, and I'll have to let you know how messy my shower Absolutely. is. Absolutely, you can curse me later. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for for coming and chatting to us. Oh, thank you very much. To me, thank you. Um, and I will I will talk to you soon. Yay! All right, ciao. Thanks, Bye. Bye. This has been another episode of the Slow Home Podcast. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe via iTunes and leave us a rating or a review. Thanks for listening.